Chair staff is ready when you are. Great, thank you so much. All right, good evening and welcome to the November 17th, 2022 Active Transportation Commission meeting. The meeting is now called to order. Will the clerk please call the roll to establish a quorum? Thank you, commissioners. Please unmute and turn on your video for roll call. Commissioner Brazel. Here. Commissioner Buenrostro appears to be absent. Commissioner Carpenter? Present. Commissioner Granville? Present. Commissioner Harris? Present. Commissioner Hydorn? Present. Commissioner Heim? Here. Commissioner Hawk? Here. Commissioner Ward-Waller? Present. Vice Chair Pollins? Here. Chair Dear Westbrook? Present. Thank you, we have a quorum. Great. Uh, this meeting is virtual via Zoom. For members of the public who wish to join, please refer to the agenda for the Zoom link. Once you have joined the meeting and wish to speak, use the raise your hand function to provide public comment when the chair confirms the public comment speaking period for your desired item. If you're online, click on raise your hand on the bottom of your screen. In the mobile app, you can raise your hand by tapping the raise hand option in the more tab. And if you're calling in via telephone to raise your hand, dial star nine, then to unmute or mute, dial star six. Speakers will be called on their last four digits of their phone numbers. You'll have three minutes to speak once you are called on, and we will now proceed to today's agenda. Please rise for the opening acknowledgments in honor of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Nisenon, the Southern Maidu, Valley and Plains Miwok, Patwin-Wintu peoples, and the people of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe, may we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather together today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contributions, and lives. Thank you. Please remain standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You cannot be seated. Okay. Our uh, first business today is approval of the consent calendar. Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on the consent calendar? Thank you, Chair. We currently have no members of the public with their hands raised. Thank you. Are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? And I see a hand from uh, Commissioner Hydorn. 
Hi, I just had a quick question for staff on the log. I'm very interested in Commissioner Buenrostro's item on the gaps analysis. And I saw that it said that would have to, or the status indicates that gaps would be looked at in the, the master plan, uh, which grant funding would be applied for this year. I just had two questions. First is, does that mean this item will only come back after that analysis has been done? Or is that just a sense of when that analysis happens and, and not clear when this will come back? Uh, and then the second question is, uh, has that, is this current status current and that we're still planning to apply in 2022 or has that already occurred? Thank you. Hello, Commissioner Hydorn. I'm happy to answer that. Um, in terms of starting up the, the funding and the project, it's, it's um, currently coming on next year, early next year, January, um, we'll be um, starting up that work for the active transportation plan, which will be considering gaps in the current network. And would this item come back after you guys have analyzed those gaps or would you plan to bring this back before you start that analysis? What are you thinking? Um, definitely we'll be coming back once we have that analysis and we have a better sense of of the gaps and what's changed since we've last done that kind of analysis. Thank you. You're welcome. Great. Thank you so much. Do we have any other questions from commissioners? Motion to approve the consent items. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Is there a second? A second. Great. So I have a motion from Commissioner Wardwaller and a second from uh, Vice Chair Pollins. Um, will the clerk please call the roll for a vote? Yes, thank you. Commissioner Brazel? Commissioner Bryn Rostro is absent. Commissioner Carpenter? Aye. Commissioner Granville? Aye. Commissioner Harris? Aye. Commissioner Hydorn? Yes. Commissioner Heim? Aye. Commissioner Hawk? Aye. Commissioner Ward Waller? Aye. Vice Chair Pollins? Aye. Chair Westbrook? Uh, aye. Thank you, motion passes. Great, thank you. Before we move on to the next item, I just wanted to remind um, folks, because it was kind of brought up at our last meeting, um, if you have you know, things that you want to get on the log, make sure um, that we're preparing the um, responses to each of the questions that we have to do in order to get something on the log. I think there's a few things that were brought up last time that um, aren't reflected on the log that we're approving here now. So just wanted to put that um, out to folks as a reminder. Um, but we will now proceed to the discussion calendar. Item three is the update on chapter 2.4 of the Sacramento City Code relating to boards and commissions generally. Is there a staff presentation? Um, there is. Thank you, Chair. Good evening. I'm Mindy Cuppy, your city clerk. And I'm going to present tonight on um, our City of Sacramento Commissions Program. 
So for background, last June, the mayor asked that the Personnel and Public Employees Committee, the PNPE Committee, establish oversight, facilitation, and staffing responsibility for city commissions. So over the past months, we've put some structural updates in place and continue to move forward with steps to uplift commissions' voices. The first is the foundational municipal code that governs boards and commissions in general. It's important that you understand the underlying code that governs your advisory body, so I'll take you through it at a very high level to brief you on the code. So on August 30th, the City Council approved an update to City Code Chapter 2.40, Boards and Commissions Generally. This is the foundational um, law governing city boards, commissions, and committees who are appointed by the Mayor or the City Council. Um, it is the intent of the City Council in enacting this chapter to assure that appointees for seats on boards and commissions possess those high ethical standards required of them to properly fulfill their functions, to disclose any conflicts of interest that would render applicants and appointees ineffective in the performance of their duties or would jeopardize the interests of the city, to protect applicants and appointees against untrue allegations with respect to their background and integrity, and to establish a uniform administrative framework for all city boards and commissions. So as you know, commissioners are appointed from within the community and expected to represent the city as a whole while promoting community and stakeholder input and taking into account all viewpoints. Serving as a commissioner provides a way for residents who have special experience or interest to participate in the city's decision-making process by advising city staff and the city council on numerous issues. The specific role of most commissions is to review and make recommendations to the city council on matters within its scope of authority and responsibility, and this is most commonly achieved by the commission at publicly noticed meetings, serving as a venue for public input and participation. So as we continue to uplift commissions to the same expectations, standards, and processes as the city council, I'm excited to be creating what I believe will be a model commissions program that other cities will want to emulate. We will be a model of transparency and inclusiveness. Our commissions will be inclusive with a diversity of voices, be transparent, all activities will be open to the public, will encourage public participation, and will follow consistent standards such as the Sacramento Sunshine Ordinance and Brown Act, and will have a clear legislative history of the important work that you do, and a clear and consistent process for commissions to communicate with and to advise the council. So I'm going to step through the provisions of the code at a high level, but it's no replacement for reading the code, which is part of your staff report. Um, so appointment procedures, you've all been through this, but I will reiterate. So applicants must submit an application. Um, persons are recommended for appointment either from PNPE, the mayor or a council member, and the concurrence of an appointment should be a vote, a vote of the full city council. And city employees are ineligible to serve unless appointed in the capacity of their employment. And then vacancies are treated the same way um, as the initial appointment procedures. Okay, failure to attend meetings. I always think it's silly I have to say this, but um, it is important that you attend meetings. We can't hold a meeting unless we do have a quorum. Um, so failure to attend a meeting without a minimum of four hours advance notice of the absence to the city clerk is considered an unexcused absence and three consecutive unexcused absence from regular meeting or absence from one-fourth of all meetings in a 12-month period is deemed good cause for removal from office. So terms. Um, the term of each uh, member is a period of four years. There are a few exceptions. Um, one being Sacramento Youth Commission is a great example. Those are two-year terms because typically um, our, our commissioners will age out. There's a limitation on consecutive terms, so no member shall serve um, more than two consecutive terms. Removal of members. So each member shall comply with the laws or requirements related to their office, including but not limited to taking your oath of office, 
filing a statement of economic interest if required by our conflict of interest code, and then completing training on um, general ethics principles and ethics laws. And, and then failure of a member of, board, of a board or commission to not comply with these is also deemed good cause for removal of office. Okay, meetings generally. Um, each regular meeting of a city um, board or commission shall be noticed. Um, every meeting will be conducted in accordance with the council rules of procedure. And then if a quorum is not established when 15 minutes of the meeting's notice start time, that meeting will be canceled. And then, of course, if there's a need um, to hold special meetings to conduct business, we will make sure that happens. So um, city boards and commissions may not establish ad hoc committees. Um, they may establish subcommittees on approval by the city council. Um, and then um, before consideration by the city council, the board or commission will make the request um, to establish a subcommittee to the PNPE committee. Um, and right now I'm working on an update to the council rules of procedure, which, which will outline this process. So chairpersons, each city board and commission shall elect one of its members to serve as chair and chairperson, and no member um, may serve for more than two calendar years. For staffing, the code clarifies uh, to make it clear that the city clerk shall act as your secretary, the attorney shall be your legal counsel, and then requires me to every five years report on the status of boards and commissions. So in summary, we've done a lot of work to uplift commissions' voices. However, I think we really have a lot more to do. Over the past year, we've ensured that all commissions follow the same high standards as the city council for agendas, meeting facilitation, legislative history, the mayor council standards and processes. We've created a recruitment video, a commissioner handbook, commissioner orientation and onboarding process, and a meeting facilitation guide for chairpersons. Um, as I said, there's still much to do in order to continue to uplift commissions' voices and ensure inclusivity. Um, we are working on bringing an update to the council rules of procedure to the city council. Um, hopefully this month could be next. Um, among other things, that council rules of procedure will establish a clear and consistent process for commissions to report to the council, including accomplishments, recommendations, and upcoming year objectives. We're continuing to work on ongoing training for commissions and department staff, and we're looking to expand our recruitment with a focus on diversity and inclusion. So I'd like to show a brief video highlighting our commissions program, and then I will be available for questions regarding Sacramento City Code Section 2.40, Boards and Commissions generally. Serving as a council appointee to a City of Sacramento commission is both an awesome opportunity and a significant commitment. The following information will give new appointees and potential applicants an overview of the position's roles and responsibilities. The City of Sacramento utilizes more than 25 commissions to promote community and stakeholder input. Most serve in an advisory capacity to the City Council. However, a few are quasi-judicial, complaint reviews, or appeals boards. Serving as a council appointee provides a way for residents who have special experience or interests to participate in the city's decision-making process by advising city staff and the city council on a wide variety of issues. As an appointee, you interact creatively as a link between the city council and citizens of all ages, interests, and backgrounds. You represent the city as a whole and will help facilitate active and inclusive input, ensuring that all voices are incorporated into any recommendation made to the city council. To effectively participate, appointees often have lengthy reports to review in order to prepare effectively for public meetings. Attendance at meetings is essential. 
The Ralph M. Brown Act, California's open meeting law, and the City of Sacramento's Sunshine Ordinance have requirements to ensure that all city councils, boards, commissions, and committees are inclusive, transparent, and encourage public participation. Agendas must be posted to clearly communicate what the commission will be discussing and how the public can be part of that conversation. The order and conduct of business of council-established commissions are also governed by the City of Sacramento Council Rules of Procedure. It is critical that appointees only discuss items under their purview at an open and public meeting and avoid discussions outside the public forum. A meeting could be any gathering of a majority of appointees to discuss items under their jurisdiction, and discussions in non-public formats, such as email, phone, or text message, must be avoided. To ensure transparency and a high level of service, appointees have educational requirements such as ethics and sexual harassment training. Appointees may also have reporting requirements such as filing of a statement of economic interests, FPPC Form 700, upon appointment, annually, and when leaving. We appreciate your interest in the City of Sacramento Board, Commission, and Committee Program, an opportunity for citizens to ensure transparent, open, and inclusive participation in the City's decision-making process. Please visit our website for appointee resources and information on applying to serve. Commissions.CityOfSacramento.org Clerk at CityOfSacramento.org 916-808-7200、so、thank you, Chair and Commissioners, for allowing me to present this evening, and I'm available for any questions. Thank you.、Uh, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. It appears we do have one hand raised. Our first speaker is Jeremiah Kay. Hey there. Thanks for、um, the opportunity to speak.、Um, this is, I think this is pretty an, a cool noble effort because making all the commissions and committees have standardized meetings and open meetings makes a lot of sense. But I've watched a few commission meetings, mostly this commission and some city council meetings. And I wonder how long that process would take to start a new subcommittee if it has to go through another committee and then the city council.、Um, I know the staff doesn't answer questions from the public, but if they did, my question would be, how long do they expect that to take? And what kind of、um, practices or observations are they looking out for to see if this is too onerous on commissions to do their work? Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Chair, we have no additional speakers. Okay, thank you. Are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? And I see a hand from Commissioner Ward Waller. Yes, thank you, Chair.、Um, and, and thank you,、uh, Mindy, so much for this update.、Um, I wondered, not sure if this was part of the update to the code. Um, but、uh, as an at large member of this commission, I realize that my term, and I think both Commissioner Carpenter and my terms, end in January.、Um, and not sure the procedures for、um, 
you know, if we have to sort of reapply for these seats or if we will just step off the commission at the end of our term. Is that something that you can speak to? I don't, I don't know if that was in your update because I didn't hear you mention it, but wonder if you if you're able to advise as part of this discussion. Absolutely, I'd be happy to to touch on that. So there are quite a few terms that end in um, that end in January. Uh, so we're in the process right now of reaching out to current commissioners who are eligible to reapply um, to to let them know that it's time to reapply. What happens is um, you'll go through the same process, and then if you went to PNPE to be appointed, it, you would then go through that same process again. So to, we'll close the recruitment period and then get those in front of the, the appointing authority, whether it's um, PNPE committee or if it's a, a council member. But you do need to reapply. Do you do you know the timing of kind of that reapplication process, or will we will we stay seated on the commission until we're replaced? Typically, no, typically your your term would expire, um, and we would thank okay. you for your service. The um, Recruitment period is open now, so you could go in today and reapply. And we, yeah, we are planning on probably next week sending out an email to let you know that it's time to reapply. Got it. But I'm pleased you so that you, you guys have a leg up. Thanks. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Mindy. All right, Commissioner Hine. Hi, sorry. Um, so quick question. I did want to um, maybe ask Jeff how moving forward um, the subcommittee could possibly would possibly work if um, chair wanted to call for a subcommittee because we've had several in the past. And um, of course, something on the log, then waiting for it to be talked, waiting for it to be brought up from the log through that or put something on the log, sending it to city council, getting their approval to talk about it during our meeting. How would, how would that work? Similar to what the um, uh, caller mentioned because I, I did have that same question. Yeah, Commissioner Heim, um, my knowledge is that you would have to discuss that um, and kind of figure everything out on the public forum in the commission meeting itself. Okay, so like for example, we are we already get a set cal um, calendar agenda, and if some if we want to bring up something, are we just going to do a log thing and then maybe table have a longer length of time to discuss this item in the whatever the meeting whenever it is put on our next agenda? Is that how we're thinking it would work? Yeah, you need to agendize it, and then um, that could be a discussion item for the group. So, okay. Commissioner, if I may add to that, um, I'm working. Yeah. With, I'm working with the city council right now on an update to the council rules of procedure, and part of that update is the annual reporting process that commissions mm -hmm. will report to PNPE. Part of that will be um, your work plan for the upcoming year if there's any subcommittee requests. And so I'm hoping to roll out that process. Once the council weighs in on it, I'll be able to roll that process out for you. Um, and I anticipate okay. uh, January um, to be back in front of you presenting what that process will look like. Okay, okay, that's great, thank you. And um, Jennifer, I, or sorry, council member Wa Wa Waller. <laughs> I, um, 
I did saw that our times are up and there was a link to applications when I was trying to get in earlier to, to, to the meeting. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah, that's super helpful uh, to know, Mindy, that you plan on coming back in January. Cause I, that was, um, I think I had a similar question to Commissioner Heim and to also our caller this evening of like, making sure I truly understand now what this new process is gonna be for um, if we do need to seek council, well, since we do need to seek council's approval uh, to create any new subcommittees going forward. Um, so that is helpful. Um, the one active subcommittee that we have going on now is allowed to meet till the end of the year um, and then conclude um, any work needs to be done uh, before the end of the year and then we can report out at the January meeting is what um, is the understanding that I have. So um, for for those that are involved in that subcommittee, but yeah, we have had a few of them. So um, it's, it's going to be a change for us and hopefully we can figure out um, how to make it work and, and not uh, slow things down. Because <laughs> right now in my head, I'm like, oh, this seems like it's going to maybe delay progress we're trying to make quickly, but I think we can make it work. Um, we have a good good group of folks. So um, thank you so much, Mindy, uh, for your presentation. Um, I'm not seeing any additional hands. So um, just thank you again for your time and look forward to an update from you uh, sometime early next year. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Okay. So... Let's see, the next item is item four, uh, commission staff report. Is there a staff presentation? Um, Jennifer is sick tonight, so there will not be a, a staff report tonight. Okay, thank you for that, Jeff. Ho hopefully she gets better soon. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely something going around. Um, okay, well, since there's no presentation, I believe there's no public comment, but um, I will just ask, um, is there any members of the public who wish to speak? Thank you, Chair. We have no members of the public with their hands raised. Okay, thank you. All right. Um, and I'll do the same for commissioners. I don't know if anyone wanted to, to say anything, but I'd assume not since there was no presentation. Okay. Uh, the next item is item five, uh, the red light photo enforcement program. Is there a staff presentation? Uh, yes, there is. Uh, commission. Uh, good evening. My name is Ryan Valici. Um, I'm with the Public Works Department in the Traffic Operations section. Uh, I'm a senior engineer over um, that section. Uh, let me see if I could get my presentation working here. Uh, let's see. All right. All right, did that share? Yes, you're good to go. Uh, great. Um, so I'm presenting on the red light running program um, and a series of questions that was received. Um, I'll kind of give you a general overview of the program and kind of go through those questions and see if we can uh, clarify some things. So let me move through here. 
Um, so a little bit of history. Uh, the city started the uh, started a red light photo enforcement program back in 1999. Um, by 2003, that program was operating at a at an actual loss. It was economically unfeasible. Um, yeah, an analysis was done. It was realized that um, we could reduce the cost by joining the county's program. Um, so in 2003, the city created a MOU to operate, to have the county operate the, city syst the city's system um, to get that economic scale as a cost savings. Um, in 2019, the MOU has been updated a couple times. The last time it was updated was 2019. Um, the MOU is good for six years from the time it was initiated. Uh, so we still have uh, three more years to go um, with that. A couple facts on that. Uh, we, the city has 10 intersections um, total. Um, Howland Fair Oaks has two approaches covered. Um, the current red light photo enforcement program vendor, the, the cost of the vendor uh, for the city's locations runs about $375,000 a year. Um, the red light photo enforcement program currently operates at no cost to the city. Uh, and that includes um, all the expenses that the sheriff incurs in operating the program. So our MOU agreement with the sheriff's department is that they operate those locations without cost. Um, the vendor is responsible for all maintenance costs of the existing systems. Um, any tickets that are, are done or verified and issued by CHP officers. So they have, they have CHP officers assigned to, to look at those. And the, the citations include both photo and video evidence. Uh, uh, here's a quick overview of the locations. You can see the county has 14 locations um, as noted in, in the gold and the city has 10 locations noted in the purple. Um, the city's locations, a little more detailed here, um, are at El Camino and Evergreen, Arden and Challenge, Helen Fair Oaks, uh, 5th and I Street, Alhambra and J Street, uh, 16th and W, uh, Broadway and 21st, uh, Folsom and Howe Avenue, Mac and Center Parkway, and Mac on La Macha. And, and I'd like to point out that even though we call out specific intersections, uh, um, I, I didn't call it, it's, it's just a single approach that's covered, a single direction of the intersection, not all four legs, just a single leg. I did not um, pro provide each direction at this, at this time. Um, so if you can imagine, each one of those is just one leg of the intersection. Other than Howland Fair Oaks, Howland Fair Oaks has two. Um, kind of overlook of what the citations look like, um, but highest being uh, fifth and I uh, currently. Um, so for from January um, 2022 through July 22, we had roughly 3,400 um, citations. 
issue. Um, and the highest being fifth and I, um, second highest Ardening Challenge, third highest Hound Paradox. Um, the, the least is uh, 16th and W. Um, the total number of citations is not currently broken down between right turns and through movement. Um, but the right turn vehicles that do not stop are also cited. So it's a combination of the two. So I don't have the percentage to break down of the through versus the right turn. Um, getting into some of the specific questions that were raised or asked. Um, an explanation of the city's program and the roles and responsibilities between the Sheriff's Department and city DOT as it relates to the red light cameras. Um, as I mentioned, the city has a, a MOU with Sacramento County Sheriff's Department to manage the current red light photo enforcement program. So the sheriff's role is to manage the whole program. Uh, they hold the contract with the vendor. Um, they work with CHP to visually verify drivers and issue all, all the citations. They attend all court proceedings. Uh, they conduct monthly site visits and they perform a yearly system audit um, to see how the signal timing and signage and everything is working together and make sure that everything is complied with the courts. The city's role currently is obviously to maintain the signalized intersections. Uh, we monitor the crash rates and look for mitigations to uh, reduce violations and broadside crashes. Um, we participate in the system audits and we implement any recommendations found in the audit. Um, second question was how was red light camera location selected and how is safety data included to determine in the determination of, of the placement of red light cameras? So to be clear, the current MOU fixes the locations um, and in the MOU, it doesn't um, have clear provisions to add additional at this time. Um, and that is really just to try to control costs in the program. Um, but the city periodically reviews crash data specifically for red light violation. Um, so we, we take any of the crash data provided by our police department, and we review those um, based on the vehicle code um, violation, because um, that's the only record that we have that there was a red light violation. Um, we look for mitigations to reduce those red light crashes. Um, and mitigations are, are in place and monitored for three years at and locations, um, if locations are still high after that point, um, the city may forward recommendations to the county uh, for a red light camera. Um, at this point, we the MOU is is not set up to to take those in, but if we were able to request those locations, the next sort of that would be an engineering study um 
and that study would look at details of um, the best approach to put it on, where the most violations are. Um, it's just a, a general feasibility study um, that goes in and takes video and lots of things into account to determine that uh, the red light camera system is warranted. Um, the final determination is um, based on the county uh, because it would be adding to their contract with the vendor. Um, the third question was where a specific location of red light camera at 39th and H there, as, as I showed earlier, there is not a red light camera at 39th and H. Um, the fourth question, how are bike and ped considerations included into the process? Um, bike and pedestrian data is very hard to, um, collect, um, and the only thing that it is included in is the crash data. So if the red light veil violation report, a crash report includes a biker ped that that piece is recorded, but it's looked at as a whole um, amongst all the crashes. Um, next question is, what are bike, bike and ped data volumes and collisions at adjacent roadways? Um, we don't specifically, well, take, bike and ped data is very hard to collect um, and it's very labor intensive and quite expensive. So we don't specifically collect bike and ped data um, and, we, and we don't, um, and we're, we're dependent on the data that comes in from the crash reports um, from the Sacramento Police Department to do the analysis and understand what, how bike and peds are related to the red light violation. Um, I think the, the last question was, how were red light cameras used as part of the city's Vision Zero strategy? Um, although the the photo and four program is ha they have been shown to be effective for broadside crashes. Um, they were not part of the city's Vision Zero toolbox, as identified by the Vision Zero task force. Um, I th I think that was a result of the program being managed by the sheriff's department. Um, it involved it involved a coordination between the two agencies, and the program currently operates at a break even point. Um, and so the, the sheriff's department is currently not adding any additional locations um, at this time. Um, so that kind of summarizes the staff report that was provided. Um, I could take any additional questions at this time. Uh, thank you. Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? currently have no members of the public with their hands raised. Thank you. Are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? My apologies, Chair. One oh. hand just popped up. Okay, let's take it. Okay. Our first speaker is Matt Anderson. 
Good evening, commissioners. Uh, Matt Anderson, District 4. Uh, thanks to the traffic outcomes for that uh, great report. Uh, I had a quick question about the bike and ped volume counts. I left a public comment on this as well. On the website, but I'm just curious um, if uh, Ryan, or if you'd be willing to ask Ryan or the folks there, what type of resources staff need to potentially start doing some of these bike and ped counts? I think at least my understanding is that the newer gen video detection systems we have have like automated bike and um, ped detection. And I think it'd be, you know, really, really important for a lot of the projects that we're instituting here, especially active transportation projects, both in, in funding and just uh, knowledge um, to, to have some of these counts. Um, so I just would be curious what they would need to institute um, some of these counts and I mean, if it could be done on intersections with some of the newer technology that's been installed and if they could potentially automate that or reduce it uh, staff time that would be required to do these type of counts. So thanks, appreciate your time and appreciate the staff report. Thank you for your comments. Chair, we have no additional speakers. Okay, all right. I see a hand from uh, Commissioner Ward-Waller. Thank you, Chair, <clears throat> and thank you so much, Ryan, for the uh, presentation. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I wondered how many signals does the city have? Uh, the city currently operates 802 traffic signals. Um, that includes pedestrian hybrid beacons. Got it. So, so we've, and we've only got camera enforcement at 10 out of the 805. That's so that correct. Good, okay. Um, and you described um, mitigations that you would install at certain signals um, to, to try to mitigate the um, citations. Can you, uh, can you describe a little bit more about what those mitigations are? Sure. Um, so as we, as we do collision analysis and we, and we, we look at types of crashes uh, at intersections were looking for ways to um, reduce those collisions and obviously broadsides and rear ends are, are fairly significant as well as the, the pedestrian and bicyclist collisions. Um, but things that we're looking at specifically for, we would be looking at specifically for red light running would be things like adding additional traffic signal heads. Um, well, let me take a step back. One would be just general visibility, making sure trees are trimmed. Those kind of items are, are taken care of. Um, the next one might be um, a, trying to address it by adding additional signal heads, which can be difficult because signal poles don't always support additional signal heads and signal poles can be quite expensive to install. Um, uh, we look at other things like vehicle detection and make sure the vehicle detection is correct and per standard so that we're gapping the traffic signal out correctly um, and providing the vehicles the the trying to provide the vehicles the right time of seeing um, the amber the yellow light as they're approaching so they're stopping um, some things that we're we're moving towards um, and uh, we're looking don't we don't have a project put together yet but we're scoping to try to um, install ye the yellow reflective borders mm -hmm. um, at, at locations that we, we've added that to our 
um, toolbox. Um, and, and even further out in the future, we're looking at uh, additional items with um, uh, new policies and signal timing that will help us um, try to address some of these issues. So hopefully that answers your question. That does. Last question is just, do you, um, do you have any procedures or can you describe, and I don't know, maybe this, these were installed long ago that you don't know, um, but for the 10 that do have enforcement today, is there a reason that those, were there like specific criteria for why those 10 were chosen? Yeah, yeah, um, and, and I, I will caveat, they were installed well before I was with the city. Um, <laughs> and, and digging through the history a little bit has been uh, a, um, a bit tough, but um, at the time that those were chosen, um, they were by far um, the 10 highest locations for, um, for crashes related to red light violations. Um, I'm, I'm reluctant to give you an exact percentage of the reduction because it's really hard to tell because it's been so long, mm -hmm. but the initial um, reports that were done in, in the early 2000s showed reductions at those locations anywhere from 25 to 40% wow. um, in those collisions. And so moving forward, it's been so long, it's really hard to understand if those re reductions are still in place. The only way to really know that would be to remove the systems, right? And I don't think any of us would you know, advocate for that at this point. So, yeah. um, uh, and, and so, so they're so they actually currently rank below some other locations. We think because of um, you know of the presence of the the red light camera system. So great, thank you. Thank. You. Okay, Commissioner Carpenter. Um, thank you so much for the presentation, Ryan. I, I had asked a lot of those questions, and so um, I'm really happy to see them very thoroughly answered. Um, you know, we all know that red light cameras are um, especially effective. I, I know that studies of, of sound light found like about a 20 20 percent mm -hmm. um, decrease in in red light running crash rates and. Um, even, you know, I think around 15 or 20% reduction in fatal crashes. So, I mean, all this to say, we know they're very effective. Um, and I guess um, hearing that, you know, they're only at a very small percentage of our intersections and the MOU does not allow us to add new cameras. Um, I guess my first question is, how can we go about revising that MOU? Because I think this is a tool that could really be um, especially helpful in reducing, you know, improving pet and bike safety. Um, we know that pets and bikes are especially vulnerable road users. So that's my first sure. question about how we can go about adding a provision to the MOU in, in perhaps the next version um, so that we do clearly have the ability to add new cameras. Um, my second question is, um, about the revenue. So I know you mentioned that there's a contract with the vendor, um, but does the revenue that's generated go back to safe streets infrastructure? Or um, if not, how can we make it that way so that these cameras aren't seen? So, so um, I, I don't have a 
detailed accounting of the revenue. I didn't, I didn't grab all that data. Um, but as it stands right now, Ryan, would you mind if I go through all of my questions or do you want to take Oh, one I'm one? sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I might forget a few, but you'll, you, yeah. You oh, know. okay. Well, no, <laughs> let's, let's take them one at a time. That would be easier. Okay. Um, sure. So I, I think the, the, the revenue piece is a little bit interesting. Um, as it stands right now, I believe, um, that the, the program is cost neutral. It basically covers itself. Um, the, the, the vendor, the vendor, um, is a fixed rate. It's not per citation or anything like that. That's a flat, it's a flat rate, um, in their contract, but the sheriff department has their staff, several CHP officers assigned, um, you know, lots of labor and, and additional costs to operate that system and do the verification. So out of the total, including the county, the 24 systems that this, that, that program operates at cost neutral. And that's sort of why there's kind of a freeze on new locations because if everybody's concerned about causing the program to go into, um, you know, a negative cost and then having to have a way to fund fund that shortfall okay and that's where the city was in 2003 that's why we we went into the the mou with the county to to try to you know a, a join costs cost savings by joining together so, so um i think it would be if if you could you know and i don't know the carpet yeah. body but I, I would like some more information on this cost you know, I, I hear you saying that it's cost neutral um and i you know there, there's different as we saw in your the chart that you showed in your presentation there's different number of citations issued each month so i don't know if what you mean is that it's cost neutral over the cost of a year oh yeah i believe yeah over the year i believe it's not bi-monthly but we could okay. um, so maybe we could get a breakdown of those, those sure. costs first yeah. from the city as well as the uh, revenue that's generated um, I just love to see those that data. Um, I do believe that there is a sign at the corner of 39th and H that says photo enforced. Oh, okay. Um, which is what I, it happens to be a common walking route for me. Um, so if you could have someone investigate that, if there's no uh, camera, then I think that's a, a violation of the MUTCD. <laughs> um, yeah, I, so uh, there was... Um... So there's a couple interesting rules with that, and and they've changed over the over time. And uh, forgive me if I don't have them 100% right. I do believe we have to have them at entry points within the city um, that there's red light um, photo enforcement, so that when you enter the jurisdiction, it's covered. And I do actually believe that the MUTCD does allow the other signs to be um, posted, even though there's not a camera system there. Um, and I think when the systems went in, there was, um, can't, there were signs kind of all over the place that said red light camera. Some of them have been removed. And, um, I don't know if all of them have been removed, but we certainly can look into that for sure. Okay. Yeah. I, if there's, um, I, I don't know if that's part of the, this, the city approach of, of having signs up where, <laughs> where there's not cameras, yeah. but I, I think maybe that was just a remnant of another time. Um, it sounds like. 
So um, I think my my uh, last question really is about one of your your statements on on monitoring the crash rates, and that's how the cameras, you know, are. Um, Mm-hmm. the camera locations are determined, I suppose. Um, so can you provide a little bit more information on, you know, what, what, at what period does that monitoring occur? I hear you say pet and bike. Yeah. Isn't, so, isn't, isn't, is, is not easy to get, um, but I would like to ask that that it is included explicitly as part of like a separate part of your crash analysis because those those users are so vulnerable. Yeah, it's um, trying to best way to answer. Uh, so the the crash data we receive, right? Uh, we, all of our crash data that we get currently is from crash reports from Sacramento Police Department, sometimes CHP. Um, and we're, we're, we are um, limited by their entry of the data, for one, and what, and what they give us information-wise. Um, and so, and, and what the reports are capable of even, even taking some, I, um, there's not some of the report, the standard reporting for crash doesn't have, I mean, you know, have a lot of specific detail. Um, so sometimes like, the items like the, the checkbox to check that, that there's a bike gets missed. And then we find out in reading the, you know, the statements of what happened that it was a bike. Um, but yeah, uh, for sure, we can um, look at, you know, way, well, I should say we are looking at ways to try to better analyze that data and, and have better access to it and make better reports so that we can make better decisions um and yeah that's great i mean i think you know there there is uh you know the possibility that you would have to go into the narrative with the crash you know the crash report um but i would encourage the city to consider doing that um or to explicitly look at those crashes that are coded you know as pet and bike related because those those users are so vulnerable so even though the data may not, you know, that we know that there's, you know, in addition, we know that there's anecdotal underreporting of pet and bike crashes. Yeah, um, that should be reason that we use the data we have even more, um, you know, more explicitly um, than just saying, well, the data may not be complete and there's underreporting, so we're just going to look at all crashes. I, I would just ask that perhaps you go back and re-examine the process. Yeah. Um... I, I think those are, that's a good call. We, we certainly can do that. We can, um, we're, we're, like I mentioned, we're looking for better ways to do that data analysis. Um, hopefully we'll have some better tools that will help us. Um, we're working on that currently. So um, we should be able to do some better analysis in the future. Great, thanks. Um, and then I would imagine gla- the glare, glare screens are also something that you use, you know, you were going through the list of of ways that you can mitigate um, uh, the glare, the glares, uh, sort of like the visors that go over the signals to help. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, those those can be um, both good and bad. They can cause as many issues as they solve, um, and, and it has to do with really physics and and how your vision works in some cases. So they um, 
we do struggle, but and, and we try to use those where we can to improve the, improve things, not have lights be visible that shouldn't be visible, those kind of things. So, um, Ryan, thank you so much for all the sure. information. I think that's I've taken my my share of the time. If this could be a, a, a standing item, perhaps that could come back to the commission um, next year, or if you can loop back with the information at least. Um, you know, based on the questions I've asked, it would be very much appreciated. Yeah, I think we, could, we should be able to do that. Um, I, I, um, I would caveat a little bit um, um, what, what, on the cost portion. I, I don't, there may, there could be contractually some limitations on the, 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 the detail that we can provide, but we'll, we'll find that out. Okay. Yeah, and if it if it is a general statement that it is you've looked at all the data and that there's you know absolutely no revenue that's generated, that would be good to know. Yeah, I just find absolutely. it um, it would be hard to believe that that's the case. Thank you so much, Commissioner Kruffner. Those were uh, very fantastic questions, um, and I really appreciate you voicing them uh, this evening. Um, I had just a few more, I, I guess just my lack of understanding with how uh, red light cameras are kind of funded in general and was curious, um, Ryan, if you could speak to like, why is it so expensive um, to, to run these cameras? Is it because we're contracting out with a, um, you know, a, a, a different company to, to run and monitor them? I guess I, I would just appreciate a little bit more background on that and, and why the city. Well, that, that's a <laughs> that's a really long, long okay. and hard question. Uh, but let me see if I can shorten it. Uh, you can give uh, me the short answer. I was um, just like, this seems like so, a-, so a there, Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of reasons I think that the costs are, are significant. Um, uh, one, uh, one is the, the systems that are in place to try, try to accurately determine that a vehicle has ran a red there, right? It, it's, it's very precise and it has to be very fast, right? And so um, that system, which is both recording video data, um, uh, imagery and um, the traffic signal operations data so that that can all get you know packaged and transmitted to an officer who can then verify that there was an actual code violation right um so that's one portion of that cost right that you have to have all that technology which is fairly advanced it's 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 cloud-based um you know it's quite a bit of storage handling video is quite expensive um and getting the detail where you can get things like license plate numbers and those kind of things is, is very difficult. Um, and in addition, it's a structure out in the field. It's on signal poles. It has in-ground wiring. It has devices. And those devices need maintenance. They get knocked down. They, they, um, they have all those things that go with them that add additional cost. And so that vendor is responsible for all of that. If the pole gets knocked down, they have to come out and build the foundation and replace the pole. Um, so those costs are all captured. Um, and then separate from the vendor cost, you know, there's the cost of the sworn officers doing the verification, doing the court proceedings and all that 
to you know um, make sure the citations are legitimate and uh, and you know um, the you know and they're representative in court. Um, and then additionally, for all that is all the different items that they currently do, which they they review the monthly plus we do the yearly audit, which is a fairly large engineering audit. Um, to to kind of certify the system so that the court will continue to enforce, right? And so there's another additional yearly cost that I have. So that when you kind of encompass that, those are the costs that make the system quite expensive. So hopefully that answered. Sorry, that's a pretty long answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that that's helpful. Yeah, I have very um, limited understanding of, about the cost of these types of programs. So was just curious, you know, if the city was pursuing you know, any other changes uh, yeah. to help potentially yeah. lower the cost? Because Yeah, and, sometimes... I, and, I, and I should say that the, the vendor is a competitively bid. Mm -hmm. um, so, so it goes through a whole competitively bid process. So, um, I mean, yeah, we're, we're not going to go out and find a cheaper vendor, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So. Okay. Yeah, no, that's helpful to know. Yeah, just obviously I, I, and, and in support of these uh, types of... Um, are, are, are these cameras being added? But it seems like right now the the um, extensive cost is making it difficult for us to have more of them across the city. So um, anyways, I appreciate you um, providing a little bit more background. Definitely seems like um, we would love to have you back at a future meeting. So um, maybe Jeff could make note of that uh, for the log. We can do an update there. Um, I'm not seeing any additional hands over from commissioners. So. Uh, again, just want to thank you so much for your presentation this evening. You're very welcome. Great. All right. So the uh, next item is item six, the Sacramento Area Council of Governments or SACOG transportation grant applications. <laughs> is there a staff presentation? Yes, there is. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay. Um, good evening. I'm Jesse Gothen with um, Public Works Engineering Services. So I wanted to review with you the uh, SACOG biannual, biannual call for projects and go over our uh, list of recommended projects. So I do have a presentation. I'll be queuing up. Give me here going from Teams to WebEx to Zoom. I get a little confused. Let's see, share. Ah, it's right there. All right, I trust that's coming through. Can you see my slides? Uh, we can, if you just want to put them in presenter mode. There we go. 
There we oh, go. Is that good? Yep, you're all set up. All right. Thank you for your patience. Okay, so yeah, once again, I'm Jesse Gothin. want to present our SACOG 2022 funding round. Um, we It's in the staff report, but um, the city is more and more reliant on uh, state and federal grant opportunities administered by SACOG and Caltrans and the CTC to um, leverage the local funds we do have available for capital improvements. And so um, SACOG is one of our main funding sources. And so they have announced this called projects. The, uh, they categorize their funding opportunities into two main programs. And one, the larger one has two subsets is the community design, which is like a placemaking uh, program that um, invests transportation dollars into projects that uh, look to make a better community, sense of place, help land use decisions. And then the regional program, similar goals, but uh, focuses on maintenance and modernization of existing facilities and then transformative. So these are like really um, ambitious, more costly, um, maybe projects that expand the network. So um, transformative are typically over 5 million maintenance and modernization, typically under 5 million. So this is the schedule. Uh, they just released their call for projects in um, late October. And so um, we are um, getting preparing to um, write the grants, um, go over our projects, look at the existing costs and submit those and, and hopefully advance these projects to the next phase. So this is on SACOG's website, but it's a breakdown of the funding programs. Uh, SACOG gets their CMAC funding, their RSTP funding and their STIP funding and a little bit of ATP funding are um, just the acronyms for the different federal and state funding pots, and then they channel it into these programs. There was an earlier call for projects this year for ATP Regional, and so the city submitted for um, Envision Broadway and Franklin Boulevard Class 3, or Franklin Boulevard Phase 3, and we were successful on both those rounds, so we're really thrilled about that. Um, and at the statewide call for projects, and then we submitted for our regional um, projects as well. And we're still waiting the um, results from SACOG. So this is, uh, sorry about the, the names here and the acronyms, but this is the, um, so the regional program is uh, for transformative maintenance and modernization. So we're looking at <clears throat> about $131 million that SACOG is programming. Um, one of the projects that um, we have been working on for some time now um, but really in earnest, uh, approaching this project as a federal project is the Sac River Parkway. SACOG awarded us those funds to kick off the preliminary engineering in 2020. Um, <clears throat> sorry for the typo on that slide, but uh, we are advancing uh, preliminary engineering right now. As um, you um, sure know, we've had um, um, a round of public engagement. We have another public meeting um, that is going to be scheduled very soon here in December to go out um, to go over just the latest developments in the project. We plan on applying to SACOG to close the funding gap that would take us all the way to Zacharias Park. So uh, we're currently funded to clear <laughs> the environmental and do the design 
and acquire right away for, um, um, well, clear the environmental for the full trail and do property acquisitions for um, the first phase. And so this application would allow us to construct and finish the acquisitions, any easement acquisitions, and then to construct the second phase. So essentially to fully fund the project is what we're looking for as for Sac River Parkway. So I'd like to note too, we have the Del Rio Trail groundbreaking today. So uh, we just wanna continue that, um, uh, the, the, all the efforts that the, our regional leaders and the city has been working on um, to advance better trail networks. So this is our um, next big project, the Sac River Parkway among um, many other um, class one trails, but it was exciting to see Del Rio break ground today. Um, the next project, Fruit Ridge Road Improvements, this is a um, very needy project in terms of um, it needs this construction funds. And also we're looking at doing a lane reduction to put in uh, um, protected or buffered bike lanes. Um, just look at repurposing <laughs> the roadway prism there to um, provide for uh, safer access for bikes. And um, we have received federal funds in the past. In the past, just for policy reasons, the city wasn't so um, willing to look at this location for a lane reduction. Um, the city is now, we've gotten that clear direction. Um, the challenge here is that um, the bike lanes, um, in order to make them fit and to be standard, it does require a lane reduction. So we wanna evaluate that and definitely um, have time. And we wanna vet that with the community next year. But in the meantime, we wanna line up the, um, the construction funds. And this would also bring the pavement up to um, a state of repair. So Fruit Ridge Road, it's been a high priority for a long time. We've gotten federal money over the years. Uh, we've hit certain snags that have just prevented us from um, delivering, but we really wanna do it. We wanna do it right. Um, so we want to evaluate the lane reduction to fit in the safest um, types of bike facilities that we can. That we can. So that's the Fruit Ridge Road improvements. Um, ITS signal improvements. Um, this is this project comes out of Ryan Belici's uh, shop, who just presented. Um, so these are um, just priority um, signal improvements throughout the city. Um, he mentioned. Um, I was always curious too how many signals we had. Eight hundred and two signals. So. It's bringing those signals up to current standards and um, kind of all the, all the things that make the intersections more safe and more, um, uh, more you know, better operating. So <clears throat> ITS signal improvements throughout. <clears throat> this is a very ambitious project that um, we um, have been partnering. Jennifer Donlan Wyatt has led the, um, led the effort to really evaluate Stockton Boulevard with the county and regional transit. And so this ambitious project to evaluate how we can prioritize transit along the corridor and implement a bus rapid transit and see, see how that would work. Uh, we, are, <clears throat> we, are, we met with SACOG, they encourage us to also to apply. This would um, <clears throat> um, approve the uh, PANED project approvals, environmental documentation for this phase and also line up PSNE funds for um, a certain segment um, that we wanna establish in the first phase. But anyway, we're collaborating with RT on this and Sac County and even meeting with STA on this. So um, very ambitious, it builds off the planning effort that took place on Stockton, but 
um, you know, even expands the BRT option even further. So uh, we're looking to apply for this. Uh, finally, the, um, well, the Richards I-5 interchange. Um, SACOG gave us funds in 2016 as the um, rail yards continues to develop and the river district and all the um, kind of infill development going on. Uh, they gave us money to evaluate this interchange and how to make it operate uh, safer, more efficient, but really to prioritize bikes and peds. We've had an extensive um, environmental and planning effort that has um, identified alternatives for how this interchange can operate. It, that environmental document should be completing next year. And this money would be to do the PSNE. And so, um, so we're going to be looking at applying for this. And then finally, there's Broadway Phase 3. Broadway Phase 3 builds on Broadway Phases 1 and 2. I know that um, this commission um, is probably familiar with um, the project on Broadway. We've been working on for many years. It is going to construction very soon. Um, there's been, I think there's maybe a meeting tonight even going on, um, talking to that team. So uh, this Phase 3 closes the gap between, um, we've got Broadway Phases 1 and 2 going to construction. We've got Broadway Vision Zero um, kicking off. We've got Envision Broadway that has kicked off. So really this whole corridor extending to Stockton Boulevard and all the way over to uh, Front Street, um, you know, is Broadway's getting a lot of investment. So this, this would um, line up the construction funds for phase three and make it really tie in. Um, it just takes that next step off of phases one and two. El Camino um, Vision Zero, this is part of the Vision Zero Action Plan to look at El Camino and to provide for the um, safe bike facilities, close the sidewalk gaps and implement the vision and the action plan of Vision Zero. And so what we're doing here is applying to SACOG for the preliminary engineering. And finally, there's the Setzer Tunnel. This is a project that um, really kind of maybe fits in the community design category and it offers um, where the, um, the, in, the kind of those uh, townhomes are being built and access to um, Upper Land Park there. It leverages this old railroad tunnel, which is pretty interesting. I've spent my whole life in Sacramento. I didn't know this tunnel was there if you've ever been over to Miller Park. But um, the vision here is to repurpose this old uh, railroad tunnel where the tracks have been abandoned no longer. Um, it used to go to the Setzer Lumber Mill. That is now a, um, a, a housing development. And so it would provide a bike trail into that Upper Land Park area and then connect to the Sac River Parkway. And so it's, it's very close to Broadway. So um, this, this project um, is, a, is in partnership with a developer um, of the mills, and they would be providing the local match uh, for this project. So that is our that is our list of recommended projects. Um, the grand total here is um, fifty point nine million. We are still um, scrubbing these numbers, um, trying to get them um, within a reasonable request. We know SACOG never funds all of our requests, but um, these are the projects that kind of rise the type, rise to the top, meet the goals of the various programs, but also are kind of at that point of readiness in terms of our um, project delivery.
So with that, I'm available to um, answer any questions, take any comments. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jesse. Mm -hmm. It might be helpful if you keep that last screen up, actually, where it has the full list. Okay, there uh, we go. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, um, but before we go to commissioners, uh, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? There are currently no members of the public with their hands raised. Okay, uh, thank you. Are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? And I see a hand from Commissioner Harris. Thank you so much. Um, so I am curious, I'm obviously um, excited to see these transformational projects and some of these um, smaller um, maintenance, modernization, um, and community design projects. Um, obviously, this is a short turnaround time for this to move forward on the annual funding cycle. Um, and I think they're all great projects, but what I notice um, is a lack of parity um, in the neighborhoods between what's getting the smaller community maintenance sort of grants um, and the transforma transformational um, grants um, that's even getting the energy. I, and I understand that we don't know what they're going to fund, but where we're spending our energy um, appears to be um, non-equitable. Um, so I, as I'm was watching these projects, it looks like there are two proposals in uh, my district, District 2, uh, the IETS signal. It looks like that was, uh, I believe it's, I think it's Arden and uh, Del Paso Boulevard, and then the El Camino um, Vision Zero project. So, oh, yes. I, and so I'd like to know how can we engage to make sure that these larger transformational projects are available? There's quite a bit of, um, uh, city-owned land in North Sacramento that has been designated uh, or not designated for um, affordable housing, um, which seems like they'd be really ripe for this sort of um, transformational grant. And I'd like to know how this commission can influence that process. So I think as the commission engages, um, maybe on the different priority efforts that the city um, you know, brings forward, I know we just, um, with the transportation priorities plan, and that's really, you know, our, I mean, deferred to our planning group on that, but um, kind of speaks to the list of projects and kind of where the investment is going. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with like Marysville Boulevard, and as you mentioned, um, El Camino, um, like we just applied for the Safe Streets for All grant mm -hmm. um, in Marysville, Boy, that was like $20 million grant that we pursued. And SACOG actually committed to funding the $4 million, which is the match requirement to make us competitive. So I would, you know, I know we have projects um, going on in District 2. I'm thinking also of Northwood School Elementary Project. It's about a seven or $8 million effort, like a Safe Routes to School project we mentioned in. We recently completed the Babcock Elementary School. That was also a grant-funded project. So, you know, I think there are projects in District 2 um, that are ongoing. Um, maybe not reflected on this list. I do see, as you mentioned, El Camino Avenue is squarely in that. I think the, you know, the construction cost estimate for that one 
preliminary, just opinion of probable cost. It, it, it's in the neighborhood of a 10 to $15 million project. So once we can, once we complete the PE, the $1 million, we'd be coming back for like a transformative grant to um, when we're ready to construct that one. So, you know, I think in terms of kind of making equitable investment, I would kind of defer to our our planning documents, our economic development type, you know, documents there and the influence the commission has on those. Um, you know, these grants are really about kind of what phase the project's in and, and what's the level of readiness. So I guess like if you wanted to see maybe more equitable investment on the transformative, I think <clears throat> El Camino, once we complete that, is very likely that would come back as a transformative grant given um, just what I know to be the costs out there. Um, you know, Richard, I-5 I Interchange, that's not District 2. That's um, in the River District, but I know that's in a, you know, considered disadvantaged area on some maps, but our, or Stockton Boulevard cor Corridor as well. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but. I, I think, um, I think it would be nice when we're continuing to brief these moving forward to, to get a, to understand that process um, and maybe it's a, a thing for just us to know when we can weigh in and how that would impact these documents. I understand it's a okay. long process. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's a big difference between us getting one of the safest or least safe um intersections just fixed than ever getting bike trails. So you know, we've been waiting for our bike trail uh to be along the um uh, there's already an access road along um, Arcade Creek. It ah. has not ever made the list. It, and I have some concerns because I, I went through the TPP plan um, very rigorously with our community. Saw a lot of concern about the Sacramento River Parkway. I, I understand it's controversy, but um, I don't see any movement on that moving going forward, um, which has no one disagreeing that it should happen. Um, it's non-controversial. So um, that's my concern. Jesse, if, if you would let me, I could clarify too the ITS signal improvements. That'd be good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I just great. want to clarify because you mentioned Arden and Del Paso. Uh, that, that project actually, the picture was a generalized picture. That project specifically, um, 24th Ave from Meadowview all the way to Sutterville. So that whole corridor. And then Norwood from El Camino all the way up to Maine. So those two major corridors is what that project entails. Okay. No, just glad you're on the call, Ryan. <laughs> so I, I'd like a, a commitment for, you know, staff to be talking about maybe how we can, you know, be thinking about some of these less controversial transformational projects, given the prioritization of the TPP. Um, Commissioner Harris, I, I, okay. I believe we're not allowed to give direction to staff. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. Um, I think Jesse hears you. Okay. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for voicing that. Um, and okay, I see a hand from Commissioner Heim. Hi, thank you for the presentation. I'm great and glad to see some of these projects moving forward. Just had a question. Since most of these projects are old, um, the Fruit Ridge Road improvement one is pretty new to me. So I just wanted to kind of know what section of Fruit Ridge you guys were talking about. Yeah, and you know what? Well, 
I'll uh, put that on our list to maybe come back if the commission wants to do a, a um, I think overview. that's the only one. Yeah, I think that's the only one that I ha we haven't seen. Yeah, I'll um, we're going to be in a really good place with that project to go do a full deep dive overview of it. Um, I would say early next year. Okay. And so um, I'll let the project manager know. <laughs> but just to answer your question, it goes roughly from 65th Street to power in it's that segment okay. between 65th and power in and um and yeah the scope what we <laughs> what we want to do is evaluate a, a road diet or a lane reduction that would allow us to fit in um buffered bike lanes maybe even a bus only lane but really um a very safe and comfortable um bike facilities there um if gotcha. we don't do the lane reduction the bike lanes right now are pretty narrow and it's going to be a real challenge. So some of the issues that we've run up against in the past is just the, how close the um, property, I think the properties run right up to the back of walk. There's, um, there's yeah. utility poles. It is, it is pretty high volume traffic. Yes. And also it's right off of highway 99. Of course you got industrial land uses, the army depot, a, you know, a lot of stuff off of there. So that's where, you know, we'd like to say the, 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 the road diet will work, but we really want to vet it with the community and get all the data out there and, you know, do some outreach and that sort of thing before we would, you know, move forward with that recommendation. But um, we'll, you know, we'll put it on here. I'll make, I'll, I'll let staff know we want to come back maybe, um, you know, first half of next year and do a presentation on Fruit Ridge, but that's roughly the limits. Great. Thank you. Thanks for the question. Uh, Commissioner Ward-Waller. Thank you, Chair. And Jesse, thanks so much. Uh, what, um, is there like an approximate amount of the overall funding round that typically comes to the city of Sacramento? Uh, there is, it tends to vary. Um, I think part of this too, is we just wanna show what our needs are. Um, okay. I don't have that number at my fingertips. I will say this. <laughs> In 2020, we had a record year. We brought, I think it was 64 million. And wow. so we were like, Sacog, thank you. You know, because if you, if you look at, you know, and, and, and I don't know if there's been some debates, you know, between city staff and Sacog staff about if you look at population or lane miles that we have to maintain or all these other metrics, you know, shouldn't the city be getting a larger share, you know, and, and that sort of thing. And um, I, in my staff report that I'll be bringing forward to council, um, I will, I will, I will try to dive into that a little bit more. I'm sorry I don't have that for you, but um, we did get 64 million last round. I, I imagine we could maybe get 30 to 40 of this round. Um, right. You know, we think we get, we deserve the 50, but you know, it's it's a competitive funding round. It's not a formula allocation, so. Sure. Uh, it does make it does make our planning difficult, though I would say, um, you know. But you know, I think SACOG, you know, tries to marry up their priorities with you know what projects we have advancing, and then give us enough to keep going, you know. Um, right. You know, it, you know, I, I will. Lastly, on that, you know, like Del Rio Trail, um, we broke ground today. Initially, we got two million dollars to kick off PE in 2016. We get a little farther. We apply to SACOG. They gave us $6 million to fund half the trail. It's like, oh, do we really want to build half a trail? In the meantime, we go back. It's like, 
okay, here's an extra four million to do the full the full trail. Okay, now oh, cost escalations are going way up. Oh, Clean California came along. Wouldn't this be a great art walk? You know, we get the Clean California said. Over the years, we put together eighteen million dollars. So so it's like we were able to leverage that little money. So it's kind of like, you know, if the city had a ton of local money, maybe we could expedite quicker. But we are really stretching our local dollars, and so and and working on these regional programs. The trouble is, it does take time. So mm -hmm. um, I think that's where there's there can be some frustration out there too. But anyway. Understood. That's uh, that's really helpful. Just history, and I, I was just trying to get a sense of how much of this fifty million we might expect to actually get funded, and wondering if if we if it is only thirty to forty million, are you does the, does the city have to prioritize which projects you would most like to see funded, or do we, you just we that all? we were we are asked we are asked to prioritize. Um, projects in the um, transformative and the maintenance and modernization category. Uh -huh. So um, we're working on our kind of draft recommendation to bring forward to council on that. So if there's any recommendation on maybe from the commission on, you know, what they think the top priority is, you know, I think just kind of going through, maybe it's the Sac River Parkway, I know it's a top priority for our council and the city and bike trails in general right now. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I, yeah. I was going to recommend Stockton Boulevard. I mean, I, I think, you know, for this commission, equity is certainly, you know, one of our top priorities and, and certainly Vision Zero and safety as well. And Stockton is, you know, one of those corridors, I believe El Camino is as well. Um, yes. You know, those yeah. Vision Zero corridors that are, you know, up there in terms of priority to address crashes. So, um, I think if, if you do have to prioritize, I would definitely recommend, you know, sort of putting safety and equity at the top of the list in terms of how you rank them. Okay. And, and yeah, just to be clear, we are asked to um, recommend or prioritize the transformative, the maintenance modernization, community design, we're not asked to prioritize. So I could say that um, commission recommends safety and um, equity yep. projects. Um, if, yeah, if you so you. desire, when you make your motion, we are asking, I think, motion to. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, we might need to add that in the motion. Which sure, yeah. I would like to recommend that be part of the motion. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I see some hands. Um, I thought Commissioner Heim was next, if I remember correctly, but then I also saw Commissioner Hopped. I don't know if you put your hand up or down or what. I just wanted to second that motion <laughs> oh, okay. i had the exact same agreement i was going to piggyback <laughs> off of what you said. um i'm losing you on my end i know you're on the train yeah, i just said i just wanted that motion i i will third in case that second didn't count <laughs> in case it's not clear <laughs> okay <laughs> okay well um is i think we so there sounds like then the motion is from Commissioner Ward Waller, and the second is from <laughs> Commissioner Heim. Is that right? Happy to clarify the motion if needed. That'd be that'd be great. I I, I want to write it down. <laughs> I, I think that the motion would be to uh, approve you know this list, support this list of projects with a recommendation to prioritize the 
transformative and maintenance and modernization projects um, based on safety and equity. Second. Awesome. Okay. Uh, uh, will the clerk please call the roll for a vote? Yes, thank you. Commissioner Braswell? Aye. Commissioner Buenrostro is absent. Commissioner Carpenter? Aye. Commissioner Granville? Aye. Commissioner Harris? Aye. Commissioner Hydorn? Aye. Commissioner Heim? Aye. Commissioner Hopp? Aye. Commissioner Ward Waller? Aye. Vice Chair Pollins? Aye. Chair Duo Westbrook? Aye. Thank you. Motion passes. Great. Thanks, everybody. I think that was All it. All right. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jesse. Good luck. All right. Okay. The next item is item seven bikeway delineator pilot community feedback. Is there a staff presentation? Yes, there is. Take it away. Share my screen real quick. How's that look on your end? Looks good. Great. Well, hello, commissioners. My name is Jeff Gelsma. Um, I'm a relatively new transportation planner with the City of Sacramento Department of Public Works. And I'm here today to talk about the bikeway delineator pilot, also known as the Battle of the Ballers. Um, and the community feedback process to let the city know which posts residents prefer for uh, separated bikeways. So a little background on the project. Um, parking protected bikeways were installed along J Street between 19th and 28th Streets in 2018 as part of the city's um, Vision Zero action plan, as well as the bikeway implementation efforts. Um, the project used uh, a traffic delineator or a post um, that was um, attached to the asphalt using a high strength adhesive. However, the, due to um, some damage from parking cars, um, as well as excessive heat from Sacramento's summers, as you all know, <laughs> um, many of the original delineators have actually um, fallen due to the, the adhesive itself failing um, because it, it can't connect to the asphalt. So um, also, um, we get a lot of questions in terms of why not planters or other concrete treatments instead of the posts. Um, and the simple kind of short answer is uh, funding um, as the dollar bills with $100 bills over there indicates. Um, planters and concrete treatments uh, such as curbs are, ex are very expensive projects. Um, and we uh, don't have the, the funding to, to implement that at the moment. We would take uh, grant funding in order to implement some kind of um, concrete treatment, uh, which would take you know five or more years to procure and implement. Um, and we want to 
implement these separated bikeways on a uh, shorter timeline. Um, and the planters typically require irrigation because they have plants in them, they need water, um, as well as regular maintenance, uh, which is also very costly and, and takes a lot of resources, which um, we do not currently have to maintain. So um, that's why we're using posts instead of the planters or concrete treatments at the moment. Um, so the bikeway delinear project or pilot, um, also known as the Battle of the Ballards, as like a fun little play on the band, Battle of the Bands. Um, so we began this pilot uh, to get feedback from residents on which posts they prefer, just in terms of like uh, the visual aesthetics, uh, whether or not it's effective, whether they see it um, driving or biking, um, and just kind of their overall impression of the posts. Uh, so we have a survey right now up on the website, the Battle of Ballards website, um, for folks to fill out. It's super short. I'm uh, letting us know which post they prefer. And that'll run until the end of November, end of this month. Um, and the survey right now is focusing on, on, the, on that section of J Street that I brought up earlier between 19th and 28th. Um, but we'll be using the feedback for, for posts moving forward. Um, on other separated bikeway projects. So to give you a rundown of the posts that we have, um, the first one is called a K71. Uh, you may have seen it around town. Uh, they're pretty large, kind of wide posts um, that can withstand a vehicle hitting it up to 65 miles per hour. Hopefully that, that never happens, but um, it, can, it can handle that. It'll pop back up. Um, I would say the large size of it, just kind of the how tall and, and, and wide it is, tends to help reinforce the separation and increase cyclist comfort, which is really what we're trying to achieve with this. Um, and then just some numbers, it's 22 inches in circumference and then 33 inches in height. So it's a, about three feet tall. Um, so that's post number one. Post number two, it's called a city post. Um, it's a flexible delineator uh, and can withhold or withstand vehicle hits around the 60 mile per hour um, threshold as well. Um, it installs in concrete and asphalt, so it's a little bit more, um, you can use it in, a, in different applications, as well as UV resistant and it's a little more resistant to extreme temperature tolerance. So. Um, given that our summers are just getting hotter, it seems like that might be a good thing to think about. And it's about the same height, but it's a little skinnier than the K71, so a um, little less pronounced. And then the third post is the turnpike. Um, so it's another flexible post, but it comes with this handy dandy little curb that um, helps delineate it in the space. Um, it can withstand the same sort of mile per hour um, impacts from vehicles, maybe a little bit higher. Um, and the added curb, um, they can be connected. So it can actually kind of somewhat create a curb-like um, treatment. Uh, so it has a pretty good delineation for the separated bikeways, which increases cyclist or scooter comfort. Um, 
and then the height of those typically vary between 15 and 48 inches. Um, I don't know the, the length of the, the, the curb itself. I think they're around two feet. So those are the three posts that we're um, putting out there on the survey for folks to give us their feedback. Um, and then I mentioned on J Street, that's um, they're currently set up there for folks to go check those out. Um, so uh, between 19th and 22nd, you'll see the K71s, those kind of fat um, big posts. And then between 22nd and 25th, you'll see the city posts, those tall skinny ones. And between 25th and 28th, you'll see the turnpikes, the ones with the curbs. Um, so I encourage you to go check those out. Um, ride your bike, take a scooter, and um, go see those posts before you submit a survey if you can. So um, the community engagement is happening right now um, during the month of November. So we have um, an online survey, like I mentioned. There's the link right there. You could also just um, search Battle of the Bollards and the, the website will pop up. The survey is right there. It's embedded on the page. You don't have to click on anything extra and you can just submit it. Um, we've had a pretty good response so far. Um, last time I checked, we had around 500 responses. So super happy about that. Um, and then I sent out um, a newsletter to the active transportation list. Um, so hopefully you all are on that and you got that. <laughs> If you're not, I encourage you to, to sign up for that. Um, and then also sent out a blog post on the City Minute blog, uh, which uh, went out to around 250,000 residents. So um, that was a good response when those went out. And then doing some targeted outreach as well. Um, I reached out to a bunch of neighborhood associations, um, and business groups. I also plan on going out in the corridor itself to talk to, to businesses about their um, preferences and, and just kind of general feelings about the different posts as well as um, reach out to some residents. So I was thinking about um, maybe going to the Midtown Farmer's Market um, and maybe the Senior Center that's on J Street as well. So um, that's all happening during the month of November. Um, and I am here to ask for your support and help with uh, sharing the survey with your networks. Um, you all are connected in the active transportation world, so um, really appreciate it if you could send this out to your people um, so that we can get more responses and, and um, have a better understanding of what Sacramento residents want for their protected bikeways. Um, so then moving forward, uh, once the survey is completed, uh, I'll compile the feedback and um, kind of get the ranking of the three different posts. And then I'll be working with our traffic signs and marking team to also get feedback from them in terms of like their on the ground um, experience with installation and maintenance of these different posts as well as costs um, so that we can kind of get a full picture of what um, is the best post moving forward. And then we should have it chosen by spring of next year. Um, so we're really moving real fast with this. And um, we have some extra dollars to allocate uh, to install more delineators, especially on the, the separated bikeways where those ones that I mentioned earlier have failed. So um, yeah, we'd really like your, your feedback and any kind of 
um, preferences you have on those, please submit into the survey. And um, that was my presentation. If you have any questions. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jeff. Uh, before we go to commissioners, we'll start with the public. Uh, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. We currently have no members of the public with their hands raised. Okay, thank you. Uh, are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? And I see a hand from Commissioner Hydorn. Uh, I think this is great. I really love the Battle of the Bollards concept. That's very clever. I think it's super fun. And 500 responses, congratulations. That's I think that's really good. And I uh, hope you get even more. And, and I'll be happy to share this uh, with my networks. Um, I did have a few questions. I was wondering if you could tell me roughly, like, what is the cost of a delineator? And is there a significant, like, just ballpark? And is there a significant difference in the cost between the three types? Um. And I assume uh, you might need like over a stretch of distance or something like that, whatever the, the appropriate metric is for, for that. Yeah, I, I looked at some that we procured for the J Street section that I mentioned. Um, this was, I think about a year ago. So I'm, I'm assuming costs have gone up because everything's kind of going up. Um, but they were around like $100, $150 per unit. Um, so they were relatively cheap uh, treatment. And then in terms of like how many they would need for a specific section, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'd have to go kind of count and figure that out. Um, but yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty um, inexpensive per unit cost. And the, the three don't really vary very much or I'd assume maybe post two is kind of the, the cheapest or are they, is oh, the yeah. difference kind of incidental? Yeah, they're all like relatively the same in terms of cost, at least from what I saw from receipts that we had. Um, that could have changed uh, in terms of like plastics or some kind of supply chain issue. I, I, I'm not sure. Um, but we should be able, once the survey closes at the end of the month, and I'll talk to, with our traffic um, and science and marketing team, and they, they have a pretty good idea of what those costs are. So. Um, that'll be factored in once once the, the feedback from the city comes. And then when you guys create the separation, is there a standard distance for the, the buffer that you use that you put the delineators inside? And then does that vary in some areas of the city and would that kind of constrain particularly the first post type that you uh, showed us? It definitely varies in terms of like how wide the street is um, and the road diet itself, uh, I think. There's, there's preference to having a bigger buffer because it's, it's more separation, it's safer, folks feel um, there's less stress for the cyclists on the street, um, but it's always kind of at the, the whim of the actual street widths and, and, and whether or not we can accommodate that much. And last question for me, does the city uh, have kind of a policy like with lanes where you can't create a full buffer or have to create a really narrow buffer, can you still consider delineators in those cases or does the city strongly discourage doing that if you if you don't have the space for full, uh, for kind of a fully separated kind of buffer zone? And in particular, one place I've noticed it where at least I'll say personally, I really like it, although I haven't seen it much else in the city 
on K Street next to uh, Sutter's Fort around 27th. There's an extremely narrow bike lane with just a few delineators that are that second post type. And I'm, I'm sure that's not best practice, but given the small space, I really like what you have. And I'm just curious, is that something that was kind of grandfathered in or is that still an option in other businesses? Um, I know that there's considerations for street sweeping in terms of like whether or not street sweepers can fit and uh, whether or not we can maintain that space uh, for leaves and whatnot. Also emergency vehicles. Um, so those are like big considerations in terms of like the, the width, uh, but 10 feet is typically the like standard uh, width for a buffered bike. But meaning can we can we put delineators in places that are not buffered bike lanes? Is that possible or is that small section on K Street kind of unusual and not something that the city will consider in other places? Oh yeah, sorry. Um, I think the one on K Street is a temporary, um, I think it was to my knowledge for, for a construction project. <laughs> okay. Um, so typically, no, I don't think there are delineators on like on like really skinny bikeways. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, those are those are some great questions, Commissioner Hydor, and I had several of the same. So, um, but yeah, I, I was going to mention. I think on um, the location you're talking about, I think that was for the Hyatt House project, which is just across the street. Um, I've also ridden that area though, and do really appreciate having those delineators up just it's made me feel a little bit safer when I'm um, coming close to that intersection. So I think that's something we could look into and, and maybe a follow-up question to the, um, to Jennifer. I think at our last meeting, she mentioned the city was gonna be updating their design standards. So if we had recommendations um, that, that could be included within that update might be an opportunity to do so. Um, I see, oh, sorry, Jeff, did you want to say something? Oh, no, I was just confirming. Saying oh, yes. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, Commissioner Ward-Waller. Thank you, Chair, and thank you, Jeff. I also love Battle of the Bollards. I filled out the survey, um, so definitely have, uh, uh, I enjoy them all, although I think post number one is my favorite. <laughs> um, I wanted to just um, ask or recommend if you have not outreached through Saba, and through Civic Thread, um, they both have pretty good lists. Um, so happy to help make the connection if you've not shared this with them already. Um, but I'll definitely share it um, more broadly as well. And um, I guess my question, you said you were going to meet with the maintenance uh, department to get their input. Do you have a sense yet of how these three different posts are holding up to car strikes and um, just wear and tear so far. I, I, when I've read, written on J Street recently, it looks like they're all doing well, but um, I, I wasn't sure if you have data yet on, um, are these performing better than the old ones that weren't, weren't great? Do you know? Yeah, um, well, to, to speak to your first point, I have reached out to Saba and Civic Thread, but if you want to give them an extra nudge. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> happy to. <laughs> um, but I've yeah been on the corridor on J Street quite a bit now because I've taken this project on, and they for the most part are all really holding up really well. Um, 
some seemed less scuffed than others and i'm not sure if that's because like less cars are hitting them because there's like less businesses in that area or something or they're just more visible um i don't i don't have data on that but it's just been my own observations but they're all holding up in terms of like they're staying attached to the asphalt mm -hmm. okay great well thank you you're welcome Great. Do we have any other additional comments from commissioners? If not, I have a few. <laughs> well, Jeff, I really appreciate your presentation. I also took the survey um, already, and it, I appreciated how easy it was to take. There wasn't, it was pretty quick. So just want to encourage everyone else, if you haven't taken it yet, it should just take you a few minutes. Um, I wanted to circle back on this um, the city pursuing delineators over curbs and planters, um, which I think would provide even more protection. Um, I understand, you know, that there's a significant cost that comes with those options, um, but was curious, you know, in the case of maybe doing a planter, if the city is pursued working with some of our um, business districts who might be able to maintain uh, those planters and make sure that they are getting water kind of take some of that responsibility away from uh, the city since I know our, our business districts are really interested in beautification of public spaces and stuff so just kind of wanted to see if there's been any conversation there to potentially pursue planters. Yeah I think that's um, I think that's I mean obviously it falls down to funding in terms of like actually getting the, the planters in there um, but PBIDs have, um, to my knowledge, uh, taken over maintenance of certain medians in the, in the city. Um, so I, I could see that as a possible way forward um, to have a planter, um, but it, to get the planter there in the, set, in, the, in the first place would be, would come down to funding and um, it just would take a very long time. <laughs> got it, got it. I'll take the temporary while well, we can get the temporary, but I would just encourage you all to, um, you know, as you're pursuing these other grant opportunities, if there is the ability to put in a curb or a planter, that that not be like not considered at all, I guess. Um, I think it would be really great. I've, you know, um, experienced riding in other cities where they have curbs and planters, and it does add that extra protection, I think, for, for the users. So. Um, Absolutely. Awesome. Um, the other one specific to the J Street corridor, um, I've repeatedly noticed at the intersection of J and 20th um, that where there's the, the crosswalk that uh, parked vehicles or that vehicles will park right there, either um, unloading uh, for the market, dropping people off or um, you know, PBIDs themselves parking their maintenance vehicles. Um, so curious uh, in areas where we have separated bikeways, um, how we're looking at like protecting the intersections, I guess a little bit better. And if, if there's a way to um, make sure that vehicles aren't like forcing bicyclists to go into the roadway and not continue on um, the separated bikeway because I, I, I think the, the uh, Midtown Market is a really good example of this that there's like every single weekend a car parked uh, at that intersection of J and, and 20th. Um, uh, yeah no I've, I've experienced that myself 
yeah. um, bicycling along J Street. Um, and so, it, I mean, it's, it's a, something I've noticed and, and, and want to uh, work on in terms of like mitigating that. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of the ways you can do it is with uh, like yeah, that green paint. So like it really makes it delineate between like where a car should or should not go or um, curb painting or something like that. Uh, also, we can look in terms of like how the delineators are placed themselves. I'm not sure off the top of my head why 20th and, and J, like there's a there's a gap right there and that's why they pulled in. Um, mm -hmm. There might be a bus stop or something like that. Um, and so, there might be a reason why there's not any delineators there or maybe delineator fill down. So um, yeah, that's something I could definitely check out. But um, and I'll definitely make note that uh, we have to make sure that those aren't those folks aren't parking in the bike lane. Anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, I, I know if Jennifer was here, she would say report it on 311. Um, yes, yes. So, so yeah, I, I guess I'm wondering, because I'm like, if there could be, I kind of just want to like show a photo that I don't have available right now, but if there could be like a delineator that lines up with the other two on either side of the intersection, but almost like just above the crosswalk, if that makes sense. I don't know, like something that, and and I could follow up the email after this, but um, yeah, maybe, maybe it's paint. Maybe you don't need another delineator um, right there. Uh, near the crosswalk, but something just to really make it clear to folks that like the separated bikeway is continuing and don't park here. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I know that we have signage along J Street, um, yeah. just because that's the example we're talking about, but there's like signage that says separated bikeway, like cars this way, yeah. it's this mm -hmm. way. Um, and maybe that's just lacking in that intersection um, because I, I pretty sure that helps a lot too mm -hmm. so yeah yeah okay no that's helpful so I'm not communicating this very clearly but you are familiar with the intersection so that's good no yeah um, I have the same issue so yeah <laughs> um I guess going back to the bullards um is the city kind of keeping track when they are knocked down like how often that's occurring how much we're having to pay to install um new bullards just kind of so we have an understanding of how much uh, it's costing to have this non-permanent solution? Um, I, I can't speak to the cost. Okay. I don't have that information um, at the moment, but I think the main way right now that we're figuring out whether or not posts have been falling down is from 311. Um, so I highly encourage folks, if you're biking around and you see a post, uh, to stop riding your bike and then 311. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I hope that these new ballers or posts, um, given that they're a little bit more durable, will cut down on those, those um, ballers falling down. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so as well. I, I was taking a lot more photos for the first iteration. I haven't had to take as many um, recently, but I do, I, I do think it would be good to have an understanding of like, you know, how much we are investing in this kind of temporary solution, because, you know, if we continue to just keep funding um, the replacement of bollards that are being knocked down, you know, maybe a conversation of a more permanent solution um, could be 
uplifted, I guess is what I'm trying to get out. Like if we're just kind of repairing the things falling down. Um, but anywho, thank you so much uh, for your presentation. Um, excited to see the city pursuing more bollards. So thanks for talking with us tonight. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Okay, get back to this. All right. Um, this item was review and comment, so no vote is required. We'll move on to the next item. The next item is commissioner comments, ideas, and questions. Are there any commissioners who wish to speak? I think folks are tired. It's eight o'clock. <laughs> That's okay. Thanks for hanging in there. Um, all right, seeing none. The last item is public comments, Mem uh, matters not on the agenda. Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on public comments, matters not on the agenda? Thank you, Chair. We have no members of the public with their hands raised. Great. Okay, well that concludes today's agenda. Thank you everyone for your participation. The meeting is now adjourned.